0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We can't be
1: in the same room, but a podcast can't be stopped. The cinemas are empty, the industry is fucked, but we won't go no long. We're not going out, we're staying at home.
2: And
1: when we watch films, we watch them along. We sit in our pants, stick on something crap. And then we hit Skype for a little chat. Little chat, little chat, little chat, little chat. Film chat's been on a little break. We've been... What have we been doing? <laughs> Not... I haven't been doing very much.
2: You'll find out. We can't uh, talk about it. We're doing a top secret thing that took a lot of time.
1: Top secret project, top secret project. Making the coronavirus vaccine. So it's, but it's done now, so... Um... we were getting Brexit done.
2: I'm pretty sure we're
1: getting Brexit done. We're sorting Brexit out. So we've had a lot to do, but now we're back to our main priority, which is uh, making this, making this podcast, making this great podcast. So Danny, how's it? How's it? How's it handling?
2: How's it handling? Same old. I mean, I think maybe the reason we've been having a bit of a hiatus is that we've. I don't know about you, but I've got very little to say or contribute <laughs> to anything. I kind of wonder whether I've like lost the art of conversation. I've never. I'm not sure if I had mm. it before, uh, you know, the lockdown, but every once in a while when I meet somebody, it's like, am I the most, I find myself saying stuff, was like, my God, I'm boring, like, you know, without the, just the, the culture around, it stagnated and I, I, I realized that was necessary for me to appear like a normal person with views and opinions, but now I'm just, yeah. it's been stripped away and I realize I'm actually quite dull
1: you know when you meet somebody who you were friends with at school and you hadn't seen in the intervening years and then you you were looking forward to seeing them again and then you realize that without being able to talk about teachers and the today's timetable you know or the gcse's or whatever then you don't actually have any topics of conversation maybe that's what's happened to us you know like yeah without a regular uh, schedule of film releases we just are unable to contribute on it on on any subjects I think, I'm, I think I'm currently running on about 20 percent of regular life force, <laughs> you know, a sh- shadow, a shadow of my normal self. But we just had an injection of meat into that podcast sandwich in the form of the one film, a film being projected on a screen so large that it's single-handedly resuscitating the film industry, Christopher Nolan's tenet. If anyone's the, the, the man to uh, defeat a global pandemic with a great big explosion, it's him.
0: To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face.
1: As I understand it,
0: we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? he can communicate with the future time travel no inversion
1: he's filmed some of the biggest explosions he could film he's strung them together with some of the most expensive suits uh money can buy and uh put a crazy time travel twist on it and we all just get to uh expose ourselves to a deadly virus and enjoy it yeah
2: and Um, boats he's into boats now it feels like I feel like post Dunkirk, mm. he really got into boats, and so that was just like oh, there's yeah. just so many boats, and this new one, it's like I think it's a real midlife crisis thing, where like most people buy Ferraris, but he's like, no, nah, no, nah, bring me the biggest boats you got, bigger, bigger, yeah, yeah, good.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about Tenet. That's the main topic of uh, discussion, the main course, and we'll see where else the um, this free flowing ramble takes us. But first of all, I want to ask you about your cinema experience. So I assume. Neither of us had set foot in a cinema. Uh, well, I know I hadn't, but I assume you hadn't either since um, uh, all this kicked off. And what was it like? Where did you go see it? how did you find the whole the whole thing?
2: Well, I just went to my local multiplex, which is maybe a poor show on my part. I should be out there supporting the independent cinemas. But
1: it's unethical of you?
2: It was unethical of me, but the independent cinema was like a bit too far away. It wasn't showing at a convenient time. So, you know, I just squared that with my conscience quite quickly. It was fine, really. I think out of all the sort of lockdown activities, it's probably the most, one of the safer ones. Like me and my girlfriend went and I was like a matinee screening. There's hardly anyone there. You pay online. You know, it feels like there's not that many people there. Because like I went, I don't know if you took advantage of the eat out to help out, but I felt that that was more like risky. I was like brushing shoulders with more people doing that than going to the movies. So I kinda of feel like more people yeah. should get go, go to the cinema. But then maybe if everyone did that, then it wouldn't be safe. So it was fine for me, really.
1: I, I don't actually know exactly what the how to gauge levels of risk exactly. Like in when I saw it, I saw it in the Genesis cinema, um An independent cinema. So I did support an independent cinema. Well at least one of us ethically. did. And saw it in their little studio screen with only sofas inside and uh, my girlfriend and I were just enjoying a little sofa together. Ooh. Not really near any other humans. <laughs> How sexy did that sound? Enjoying a little savory, It's a very, huh? It's very erotic, yeah. The, but we weren't... I was not rubbing up against other people eating uh, popcorn or or anything like that. So it felt relatively um, uh, distanced in that way. But at the same time we're indoors so I guess that is and you're indoors sitting in the same place for a long time I don't know how it works like if someone breathes out a cloud of viral germs do they that's not a thing I know <laughs> but whatever the virus comes out of someone's orifices does the cloud disperse into the room and fill it like a noxious gas or, or is it fine as long as you're you know like if you're three meters away from somebody but it's they're sitting there for two full hours you know is yeah. that dangerous? I don't know. But I did also, I also ate out and helped out. Um, but then we were, we were eating outside, so it was an fresco meal. So is that, is that safe? Is that safe? I don't know. I don't know, Danny. I mean, who's to blame? The government's poor messaging or well, me for not Googling these things before I do them? What's the... Fucking Boris. Who's taking the risks here? Fuck the government. Know. Fuck Boris. The important thing is that we got to see Christopher Nolan's film. But I, I agree that I didn't feel like I was at, at risk. I mean I don't know whether my feelings have any relevance to, to it, but is it, it certainly didn't feel too bad.
2: That Christopher Nolan, he's, this is a criticism of him, but he makes very sterile films. His films seem very clean, you know, like yes. there's nothing yes. sensual or like emotive about them. So it's quite clinical to be. Maybe if I was watching like a movie which, like a Pedro Almodovar movie, I'd be feel you know I'd be a bit more on edge because I'd be more aware of my body and human emotions and stuff.
1: They have that white halogen colour palette of the laboratory. Yeah, exactly. It feels like everything's been sprayed down. Okay, so we both lived to the tale so far. What did you think of the film itself?
2: Should we Should we try and do the plot? I don't know, like, a brief yeah. little setup. So, John David Washington plays a spy simply called the protagonist, and... Early on in the movie, he is kind of recruited. His mission is to find out about these objects, these kind of weapons that are going back in time. He's got bullets that fly into guns. that The entropy has been reversed. And there's some sort of global conspiracy. And he has to sort of, uh, you know, it's like a sort of Bond movie. He has to follow the clues. There's a bad guy. And he has to stop World War Three. But it's like even worse than World War Three because it's like World War Three from the future. As I say this, I realise none of this isn't really making sense. I don't quite understand the film, so I don't think I can spoil it. Is, is, is that sort of reasonable enough?
1: Yeah, it's a big spy movie. There's a big doomsday device, and he's kind of travelling back in time and forwards in time, and time time stuff is going on as he tries to tackle the issue. And the big bad guy is Kenneth Branagh as a Russian uh, arms dealer, doing a, a, a chef's kiss of a Branagh performance. So this has been received with slightly more middling reviews right than your regular Nolan spectacle
2: yeah people seem a bit cooler on this one
1: I was kind of anticipating they were going to give it a little more leeway because people are so cinema starved and they'd be like you know this is this is big spectacle this is the big Nolan like this must be amazing but maybe just the weight of expectations was uh uh, was too much for people on this one yeah I will say that I quite liked it I think that's it has all of Nolan's weaknesses and definitely some of them are worse than they are in his other films. And it's, there, there are certain ways in which it's uh, definitely not like the best film in his in his oeuvre. But I always situate his movies as compared to watching another brainless blockbuster because that is, I think that is essentially what like that's the slot that these movies are in this is the same kind of thing as going to see like a Marvel film or like Fast and Furious or whatever it's big expensive popcorn entertainment and what I'm looking for is just to for the time to pass in an enjoyable way over that period and for me to see a lot of money spent in an interesting way on screen and I feel like the film did deliver on that level so I was uh relatively satisfied by Tenet um and, and even it is definitely a film where even in the ways in which it is stupid, they're fun to think about and, and talk about. And it gives you some stuff to chew over. And I feel like it doesn't have the same quality of um, uh, disappearing from your mind seconds after you have seen it, which I'd experienced uh, watching a few of these recent like Netflix blockbuster releases, which are just aimed squarely to get three stars and for you to like never be so bored you'll turn it off you know and that's like the limits of their ambition and then you sort of you watch the whole thing without ever feeling uncomfortable or sad or upset um or moved <laughs> anyway and then it's over and you're like well i'll just do the next thing in my life and never think about this film again um and as compared to that sort of uh, replaceable fare uh it's it nolan remains a um uh someone who makes more more sort of interesting and enjoyable and memorable movies than that. So I appreciated its existence even if I don't know if it's like a good film. <laughs> what was your what was your view?
2: No, no, I broadly agree. I think I just like it's almost like he's a brand unto himself and I just like the things he does. And there's just some you know, there's some spectacles like that, you know there's some spectacles.
1: A lot of guys in glasses. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I realized that was confusing. You know, people in expensive suits and uh there's a big set piece that does an explosion, they you know, they bought out a house and blew it up for real and all the in camera stuff is almost like it's it's so expected now, I wonder if it's he's almost like he keeps on trying to top himself and I don't think he has I think if there was like a flaw well, there are, well, there are many flaws, it's like it doesn't quite have a sort of standout amazing sequence or like Anything as good as like the zero gravity fight in Inception or the docking sequence in Interstellar. I always think there's like, even in his like flawed movies, they're real like standout sequence. I don't think this one quite has one on that level. My girlfriend said like, I thought gave a really good hot take review, which is like, it's really entertaining moment to moment. But at the end, you're like, what was, what was that? And I think like the whole movie is a bit like, a puzzle which isn't quite intriguing enough for me to want to try and figure it out and i did watch a video which was like you know tenet explained and i was like nah like because i don't think there's much going on like more than the concepts it's just more like it's a very kind of shallow movie with just kind of character types they're not really characters i mean the fact that he's called the protagonist is almost like sort of a kind of winking reference to how flimsy the the script is like robert patterson should just be called best friend uh, Kenneth Branagh is just villain and uh, Elizabeth to in probably the worst role is just, like, wife. And there's very... And they all do a lot, I think, to sort of, like, sketch around that a bit more. But the whole thing, it just felt like a very expensive, really hard-to-make film, which was ultimately very lightweight. And the sort of complexity gives it the illusion of that there's more going on. When really it just felt a bit like his latest thing. He's like, I've done... Uh, zero gravity stuff i've done dream stuff the new thing is time and reverse i don't know what his, what was gonna do after this like time and reverse and zero gravity at the same time he's got to find a new thing to reverse um but i did really like the main guy i thought john david washington was great uh really convinced as like a sort of action star like one of the standout sequences is just him sort of kicking ass in a very like generic spy way or like you know five goons surround him and they're all like built like brick shit houses. and he's like somewhat smaller compared to them but he's just so fucking badass he takes them down and I like I really bought it more than like any other movie I've seen recently I was like shit this guy could tear me apart so I thought he was great <laughs> this guy could
1: smash me to pieces this guy could smash me to pieces this guy could, this guy could hold me down and just wreck me
2: but yeah I, I, I had no I, we discussed this a little bit I had no idea what was happening in the third act like I felt that was the, mo- the kind of wheels came off the movie slightly in that his weird, the weird time thing, the actual the very concept of the plot, I didn't quite understand. And then how it operated, you know, the, the very, the premise is confusing. And then the way the story is constructed is like in a typical Nolan nonlinear fashion. So by the end, I had no fucking clue what was going on. It was very confusingly short, I think, like the actual geography of what was going on wasn't very clearly done. I think it 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 was like really expensive, but it lacked a bit of the sort of epicness of his other movies. It was, I think, it wasn't as like good looking a movie as like his previous ones.
1: Yeah, it has this um, interesting aesthetic, which I think is quite Nolan'y, but is sort of more the case in this than in any of his other movies. Like he just likes daylight and things to be clear and crisp and he's not an overly like he isn't somebody in a way that is sort of refreshing like he's not somebody who's gonna slather his film in neon so that you think that it's like a, a really cool 80s throwback or put some filter on the camera so everything is vaguely green or blue to give you the sense that you're watching something that's very stylish it's just well everything was shot at about 2 p.m you know and just looks light and I don't know and and The big car chase takes place in a sort of like a highway in Estonia that looks very ordinary. And the climax of the movie basically looks like it was filmed in an enormous paintball arena and is also, you know, relatively mundane looking. Yeah, it isn't as visually beautiful, I guess, as as like the Batman movies or like doesn't have the period trappings of Dunkirk or I guess the sort of cool urban sprawls which are constantly shifting around that Inception had, which definitely made it look cool. Though the finale of Inception is also in a relatively bland, like just snow area. But that fight scene you mentioned in the kitchen, that sort of... I really liked that bit as well. And that kind of... That sort of thing buys me a lot of goodwill with Nolan because it feels like when he just has to do some functional little bit of action, he just excels so well. Yeah, in Such yeah, absolutely. a well-directed and made little sequence. It wasn't shouting about itself as being ultra cool, but it, you know, it just it just was very slick and a satisfyingly uh, crunchy um, uh, a bit of fighting with the main dude. And... Uh, yeah, I think he just he has this like self-assuredness with the way that he his films kind of carry themselves that um uh that I that I just enjoy and I'm kind of willing to go with even when they're extremely silly. I think that the finale of this movie definitely pushes it on the visual coherence or incoherence level. Like I <laughs> did not know what was going on. I think I challenge anybody to be able to explain exactly who is doing what and why in the final half an hour of this movie. It is impossible to tell And one of his big problems, I think, Nolan, and this is something where, this is one of his few movies that he wrote solo, and I think this is one of the things where a collaborator would have helped enormously, just to make sure the audience can understand the basics of the plot, not just the crazy mechanics of the time travel gimmick, but just who's doing what and why in each scene. It felt like every single sequence in the movie required a ultra uh, quick fire uh, kind of his girl Friday style, back and forth between <laughs> people, just shouting important plot information at each other at like a at like a very quick rate, just to explain every new scene. Like you needed to have this little prologue. You know, it would be like having the um, uh, the opening scroll in a Star Wars movie, but like they would need to see that before every single scene. <laughs> like everything had so much setup. Uh, like the bit in the trailer where they they explode the plane the that the scheme that that is part of is highly elaborate there's this whole backstory involving expensive arts that you have to learn a whole bunch of new characters there's uh, all of this stuff about the security system in the thing and like it's like the climax to a heist movie or whatever that would that would tell you over and over and over again why what's here and what's there and why they need to do what but in this movie it's like a couple of scenes of people saying it really really quickly and then you're into it and you're just like okay I don't have where's the handout you know I need I need the accompanying slides like to be able to remember who's doing what why and like all of the scenes all of the action scenes were a bit like that there was too much just too much plot which doesn't matter it's too much stuff that had to be explained and it kind of reached its zenith before the final climax where it just suddenly cut to a dude uh, standing in front of a board pointing at a diagram as he explains like how where the different teams are going in this building and i'm like what is the building who are the teams why are they doing this i i don't know i don't know what's happening and then on top so it's like on top of all of that you get the um genuinely pr- very complicated uh time travel gimmicks where even if it was all in linear time i would be a little confused and with all the time travel stuff on top of it it just makes it pre- completely visually incoherent and impossible to understand uh but having said all that <laughs> the extra <laughs> the extra level of like the time nonsense does at least give you something to be working on while you're like I'm not... I don't really know who's doing what or why, but at least I can be trying to... My brain is kind of trying to puzzle through exactly how the mechanics of this are working, and I think that... I I feel like he is confident that this all kind of knits together and, and works, and that if you stare at it long enough, the magic eye will come into focus, and you'll be like, oh, I see, you did this thing because of this. So... It's at least, I think that does give it a level of it being interesting to watch, even though it does fail at one sort of quite fundamental thing of, like, making your, making your scenes visually coherent. Like, the scene, the scene which is also in the trailer where there's this sort of fist fight between the main guy and this masked dude who's, who's moving backwards in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he's moving forwards and he's fighting a guy who's moving backwards. I, th- I found that very cool, and I, that's such a challenge to choreograph. I don't know how you would choreograph that scene. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool that the the, the in-camera um, mechanics of it are very straightforward. You just run the film backwards, right? Yeah, yeah, But coming up with a way to shoot a fight scene where when you focus on what one guy's doing, that ca- that footage is in reverse, and then when the other guy, his footage seems to be going forwards, um must have been an, an incredible endeavor to, to choreograph all that and shoot it and make that work. And I thought it was very cool. Like, I haven't seen that before, so... I was was satisfied, so I was like, I gave that a thumbs up, thought it was good. One area in which this this really falls flat compared to his previous oeuvre is the failure to give a compelling villain, and his sort of like stiffness and blandness and his terrible dialogue is definitely made up for by really well-acted and interesting villains in um, the Batman movies, and here we've got an incredibly boring like a bond villain with no physical deformity or like yeah you know, with, with no character to him uh, the blandest possible russian oligarch character uh, played by probably the worst working actor, actor. <laughs> <laughs> probably the worst famous actor um Kenneth Branagh who's just yeah, I just anyone. I just feel like he is someone who I could do better than, or normal, just normal people. It's like rare you down. watch at a really expensive film and think I could do better than this guy, and I'm not even an actor. Yeah, which is not good at it.
2: Yeah, it's a shame because it's such. A, it's a weird like. On one hand, it's so supremely well made. On the other hand, the script is like, needs a couple more passes. And it's like, that's quite amateurish. And some of the dialogue is really like, six, four, it's like a sort of kid who's watched too many Bond movies and is trying his hand at writing tough guy dialogue. And then it's got all these, you know, mad time stuff, which probably took ages to do. And then like, the Elizabeth DeBecky character and the Kenneth Branagh character are so, such crap, bad uh, genre cliches. So on one hand, it's like the most generic thing in the world. I've it's this crazy new thing with like all this time travel stuff. So it's, 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 yeah, it's a kind of a mess, but it's got more going for it than most. And like, I definitely, I definitely enjoyed it. It just, I think it was just less successful than his other movies that have done similar stuff. It also didn't have a good score, I don't think. I was kind of hoping, for, it's not Hans Zimmer this time, it's Ludwig Göransson. He's got someone else who's, you know, European and sounds like someone who could, you know, really work a synth machine. But I felt like it was lacking memorable musical cues.
1: It certainly has the booms. It has
2: the booms, but I you know, it doesn't have the cool jangly guitars and the percussion and or maybe it did, but it just wasn't quite landing in the same way.
1: I thought it was kind of fine. I didn't particularly notice it except when it was literally drowning out the dialogue, which it did a few times. I don't know if that was just an issue in the screen that I was in, but I, it was hard for me to follow the plot, and then I just couldn't understand what people were saying.
2: <laughs> the sound mix is terrible, or just deliberately, like, muddy. I felt like you, like, he go into the edit and it's like, this dialogue is not good. I need to drown this out. And also, there seems yeah. to be, like, almost like a... Is it like an in-joke? There's a bit where they have, like, a meeting while they're on, like, this massive, like, boat, like, going along, and they have to talk via, like, headpieces because the waves are so loud. And then like in a sort of completely random Michael Caine cameo, he's like eating chips just to sort of mean that his diction isn't that clear. And he's got his his old man voice and now you're making him like chew like steak at the same time. I mean, it's just not, you know, just make your audio a bit sharper. I feel like in the 70s, everyone could hear each other. And now it's got this weird, like, it's like Robert, it's like a Robert Altman movie, but.
1: (laughs) That's one of those things that you just, you just have to give up on. I'm not going to be able to understand what people are saying or why they're saying it. I'm just going to have to watch five different Tenet Explained YouTube videos after this uh, in order to try to work it out. But yeah, I think of all of his films, this is the one that felt the most to me as if it was set in Christopher Nolan's own kind of social world. Felt like everybody was always like, they're like on yachts, they're on planes, they're in uh, art galleries, they're having nice lunches in restaurants, Um, you know, they're just driving about town, like... This is just his life, isn't it? He's just filmed his own life, and he's put he's pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into putting explosions into it. But it really felt like uh, he is just this is his own lifestyle, you know. You see one shot of Christopher Nolan on set in a three piece suit, and I just feel like his entire thing falls into place. Yeah. Like, and this is why this is why I have some affection for him is because I think he's kind of unpretentious, and his films are no more or less clever. Or deep or intelligent than they appear, you know. Yeah. The reason that everyone is always chewing out this absurdly corny dialogue is not because he's some kind of ultra pretentious art house genius who knows that the only way to to fit his incredibly deep concepts is to uh, feed the masses a bit of popular entertainment. It's like no, that's just him. That's just who he is. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. He just writes this this nonsense. And calling your main character the protagonist is such a kind of sick form move yeah and I just feel like that that just tells you that <laughs> just tells you everything. He, he's called the protagonist, and he has dialogue like, I am the protagonist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, someone on Twitter described his movies as Tory anime, and I think that like really? That's like perfect. <laughs> that's so
1: perfect. That's, that's that, so perfect. It's absolutely it.
2: It's like if you watch yeah. an anime movie, it's just guys in suits and they defy gravity occasionally, and it's all that, but with this kind of like weird British colonial trappings on top of that. And I did find yeah. some of the like bad dog look really funny. Like this whole thing about this like, little public schoolboy character. I always love it when kids talk in movies and they only have like two lines. It's like the writer has to think of something a child would say and this thing is like, Mommy, I want to go to Pompeii and look at the lava or something. And it's like, Who it is this little fucking Tory shit? It's gonna be running the country in twenty years. They should have killed that kid. That's that's my radical yeah. <laughs> I've been radicalized in lockdown. So yeah, yeah. it's it's fun. It's fun. You know, I, I feel like I, like, watched it, I, I enjoyed it, um, and, you know, if I never saw it again, that'd be fine, but, you know, pass the time. And it, it, yeah, it is much better than, yeah, to return to your original point, like, you watch like i I'm sure like if you watch the Avengers Endgame, it just look like shit now, like two years later. Like all the blue screen and green screen. I just think on the technical level, it, they just look amazing. All the all the yeah. explosions are loud. The cars drove really fast. They actually bought like a jumbo jet and crashed it. I mean, sure. I mean, that's the price of emissions, isn't it covered basically? So yeah,
1: good, goodish. I, I was kind of on board. The first scene is just this really cool and well executed action set piece. In, in a concert in an opera house another scene that's been set in Christopher Nolan's life you know, <laughs> he was going to the opera as he does like every other day and he was like what if uh, armed guards you know burst in here and started shooting up the place and so he just made that into a scene but it's just really well done you know so fair play to so him fair play to him fair play to him
0: don't try to understand it feel it
1: What else have you seen?
2: I have seen the John Stewart satire, Irresistible. When you see Trump lose office by getting no votes, you're probably going to wonder how that happened. I'll tell you how it happened. Everyone to see this movie and they were like, wow.
0: The Democrat Party can't win. They're getting desperate. They don't know us. They don't want to know us. And they look no, down on our No, no, that's we. You're DC elite. Oh, no, actually, I'm from here. Faith, I didn't know that. You're from Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, Deer Lake, I'm from Deer Lake. What? Oh, Whoa. wow! So this campaign has been a bit of a homecoming. It really is, Brooke. Thank no, you. No, 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 no. That's a lie. That's a lie. No, it's, you're lying. It's, it's she's the truth, li- I'm that's, from that's here. no. That's what are you even <laughs> okay. doing? Uh, well, that's always you're a great here. and spirited Thank you so discussion. No, hey, no, Thank no, no, you. No, 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 no. She's lying.
2: So uh, I think we talked about it when it was announced. The basic plot is Steve Carell's like a sort of campaign manager, Washington pro. And the beginning of the movie, it starts with, like, a Trump a Trump speech, which is already bad. I'm, like, I thought I was settling in for, like, a sort of uh, fun uh, rom-com comedy thing. And, I'm like, I don't want to hear Trump's voice already. That's turned me off. It's like someone's thrown a, you know, a bucket of cold water over me. And it's, like, it's set, like, on the day after, like, the 2016 election results. And he's really depressed. And then the movie they is about the Democrats trying to relaunch their campaign. And the way they're doing that is they saw this viral video of this uh, farmer who used to be a military vet, played by Chris Cooper, sort of standing up in a sort of town meeting in his little town of, like, Americana in the Midwest, not really specified where. And Steve Crow's like, oh, if you can get this guy to win, we can win back the sort of the the middle America that went to Trump, right? We're going to get the little, the little, the little guys in the little towns, with their the little minds. They didn't vote the right way because they're so little, you know, he's a patronizing guy. And so he goes there and then, but then the sort of Republicans get wind of it. And then like Rose Byrne, who's like his sort of Republican counterpart comes in and there's sort of, it's kind of like a Frank Capra esque sort of comedy about politics invading a small town. I'd say it's pretty terrible. Uh, I, I, I hate it, maybe, on reflection. <laughs> it's got the thing that's so funny about it is that it's sort of about the way, um, you know, big corporate campaigns use this kind of folksy America that doesn't really exist. And, like, you know, Joe Biden's got to go have a barbecue with a normal guy somewhere and talk about real issues, about real Americas or whatever. And it's all very patronizing, the sort of campaigns that come out. But then Jon Stewart's depiction of. The town is exactly the same as Steve Carell's perception of it, so it's like, what is it satirizing? Uh, it feels like uh, it felt like the Steve Carell character directed the movie. It also just feels very dated. Like uh, it, the sort of big target is just like money, the money that gets, gets sunk into these campaigns. When it feels like the sort of issues of the day are a bit deeper than that. I mean, obviously, like it's the social economic situation, but I don't know. I feel like this script was written about ten years ago is the feeling when you watch it. It's also, the tone of it is very strange. It's got this kind of high concept uh, third act reveal, which sort of feels like a completely different film. There's a sequence where like a, a sort of uh, a billionaire donor turns up and he's like, he's so old and decrepit, he's basically a robot. And it's like, what is this film? It just, I, I know you look, you're frowning at me as I say this, so that sounds weird, but it's not as weird as the film itself. And Steve Carell and Rose Byrne are, like, good. They're, like, such, like, charming performers that are sort of, you know, they kind of make the movie very watchable. But at the end, it's a movie which ends with, like, stats coming up. And you're like, was I supposed to learn something from this? You know, like, your movie is not smart enough. It's like, you know, if you're going to try and teach me something, you have to prove that you're smart enough to teach me something. And it was like, this is a dumb movie. It's like, Jon Stewart got out when the going was good, you know. He left in, like, early 2016 which was the perfect time to leave that kind of format of satire. And it feels like he's returning to the crime scene. I'm like, was he even that good? You know, you know like, so I give it a miss. I mean, it's sort of come out and yeah. died and no one went to see it. I think that's probably a good thing.
1: What you said about it does chime with other other things that I've heard people talk about it. I think Jon Stewart is an interesting figure because it felt like he was, you know, very sharp and on it in his day. Although I suppose that still, we still have to wonder whether that's just that was just how we felt at the time, you know, when we were uh, fourteen or fifteen, hmm. um, and whether that stuff would still hold up in retrospect. But he it does have something that distinguishes him from the regular stable of uh, smirking uh, satirists, both in the UK and in the US, which is that he's genuinely a very angry man. You know, he's got some hate in his heart, so you've got yeah. you've got to give him some credit for that. Uh, he's a, he's also a political campaigner and he's a liberal so it's not like his politics are amazing but he is at least mad about something and wants to kind of fix it and it just sounds like this movie is such a combination of those two parts of him you know this kind of um uh, pleased with itself chirpy political satire from this like kind of format which is dated and that's in a form which is kind of toothless you know like all those years kind of railing against Democrats and Republicans, while also inviting them onto your show and shaking their hand and being charming with them, and doing absolutely nothing to actually challenge them, and uh, the film is kind of suffering from the same problem, you know, this like toothless kind of satire which is attempting to reveal something about the, you know, the poisonous nature of money and politics, but um, it's it reach is always exceeding its grasp. Like satire is interesting in how quickly it dates, in a way, and John Stewart is certainly yesterday's man. Uh, in that <laughs> so it would be kind of interesting to see how like uh yeah how that seems in a in a modern context, especially because like Trump is just just makes such a joke of of the entirety of politics that <laughs> yeah like you can't exactly just bolt him onto a critique of um citizens united or or whatever it is,
2: yeah, I think the thing that annoyed me the most was the. Like one of the sort of plot details is that the town was um next to like this base that got shut down and with it that was like a you know, loads of jobs went and it like, you know, it's like a pit closing or whatever, you know, the entire lifeblood of the town is starved. But when you get there it's just like you see a few boarded up windows, but everyone's basically fine and still like cooking pies and stuff. Whereas like if it really like depicted the sort of social you know, the economic blight that had befallen it, I'd be like, okay, it's like the movie doesn't quite have the strength of its convictions. You know, it's it's angry, but it wants to be so digestible and light at the same time, and it can't quite square that circle.
1: Yeah. Um, there might also be there might also be a problem of perspective in that if your contention is that people in Washington and from this elite media bubble um, had this patronizing view of the quote unquote real Americans or working class Americans or people in the Midwest or from small towns. And you are purporting to be able to show a more authentic version of that. But you clearly are, have more knowledge of and alignment with the media elites, right? Because that's yeah, yeah. the world that John Stewart is from. You know, and you know he hosted the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, so that's setting yourself a, a challenge, a bit of a dangerous one. Hearing you talk about it reminded me a little bit of that awful Brexit film, The Uncivil War, where they have the... Uh, focus group scenes with you know people out in the real world outside the Westminster bubble like here's what the real people are saying The the weirdly sterile and fake world of focus groups presented as this totally transparent window onto how real people think and it's clear that the writer of this play he like he knows and understands the mind of like the politicians and journalists more than he does just working class people who don't have anything to do with that world you know and that came across painfully even as his film was attempting to um uh, depict them as they truly are yeah did you get a similar impression yeah from- a little bit like
2: you know it's from the stock uh you know screenwriting book of like what a, what are rural people like they're all nice and they will know each other and they all drink at the same bar and they're like you know if you get lost they'll help you because they're just good-natured lovely folk who get shat on by the man yeah just like it's like, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, if you're gonna say something, say something. But it just sort of copped out a little bit. I mean, it had a couple of good jokes, but I don't know. The, the, early on in the movie, like after Steve Carell had like this crushing defeat, another thing is that like it, it pans past all the people he's worked with, and one of them was like he was like key on the Clinton campaign. Is like the Clinton campaign is like was this going the Luda Express? Like, you know, <laughs> and. um... Like, the morning after 2016 election, he's, like, in bed... He can't get out of bed because he's so depressed. And, like, the phone's ringing. And then, like, his phone keeps on, like... The, the, his, his, he's such an old man, he can't work technology. And, like, he's like, Alexa, turn off the phone! Phone, turn off Alexa! And he's, like, trying to get all these things to thing work. And it's, like... It's kind of like a movie. It's, like, old man yells at technology. It's, like... It's a bit too on the nose. Like, this is what this film is like. I'm angry. I'm not about stuff. And I can't quite articulate it in a, in a coherent way, but... Want yeah. to miss. It was not irresistible to me.
1: Some sort of uh, uh, Washington PR campaign uh, Democrat ghoul should be the villain of the Yeah, film. exactly.
2: Don't get Steve Carell. He's like sort of a, you know, a kind of budget Tom Hanks or something, you know? He's America's dad.
1: Yeah. He's Hanks. He's Hanks. <sighs> that guy who plays Dan in um, V. Yeah. You know, you want to get Reed that guy. Scott. Get him. Some kind of real shit-eater. Yeah.
2: Well. Well,
1: so not a not a recommendation for uh irresistible, which I keep wanting to say irreversible, but I know that's a very, <laughs> very difficult That'd be film. such a sick double bill. Steve was really the only I I, I really did write this
0: for him and, and with him in mind. And so I'm very glad that that he that he wanted to do it. Um because it's it's a difficult
1: character because it's what do you do with someone that you might who might believe in in what they're doing ideologically? Who might be very principled, but they live in a world that is less principled? And what does that do to them? Okay. What well, do we have? What else do we do we uh, want to discuss here?
2: Uh, I mean, it's, it's been so long since we've uh, we've spoken. I mean,
1: I saw I saw that film Rampage with the the Rock in it, and he's got a giant gorilla friend. Don't have a huge amount to say about that. You know, the, he's got a he's gorilla. <laughs> So he's got a big gorilla.
2: So yes that's such a weary way. I saw some film with
1: a rock and he's got a giant gorilla friend or something he's got a big gorilla. <laughs> The gorilla starts big, but he just gets bigger as the film goes on. By the end, the gorilla is just huge. Absolutely fucking huge.
2: If you could time travel back to 998 and said that to somebody, they think you were mad. I just saw this film starting The Rock where a gorilla gets massive and massive.
1: Just, gorilla gets really big. Does he go on a rampage? By the end, just squinting and rubbing your eyes. Like, why is he so big? Oh, yeah, he goes on a huge rampage.
2: Connor! Connor! It's okay, George. George,
1: George, 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 easy, buddy, easy, uh-huh,
2: <laughs> okay, okay, oh, very funny, it's very funny, we're all very impressed, yes, yes, you and I laughing at your joke, okay, new guy, he no laugh, he cried. yeah, yeah,
1: opposite of laugh, Connor, you can get up now. Are you 100% on that? 100% sure, you can get up. Mm -hmm. And check your diaper, come on. Let's go. So, Rampage, the trailer depicts three normal animals becoming enormous, right? A wolf and a crocodile and the gorilla. In the film, the wolf and the gorilla are the chief giant animals. And then there is a second sort of or third act reveal where the, the crocodile becomes the biggest and baddest animal of them all. But my complaint is, that was revealed in the trailer, and in the film I really felt like we needed a fourth animal, because we knew the crocodile was coming, so for the film to really land, a fourth, even bigger animal should have arrived, and that didn't happen. Yeah. So, what's the deal? I feel like this is a real problem with the movie, or maybe that's down to the marketing and it should have just called itself Gorilla versus Wolf and just focused on that. And then the, that would have made the crocodile really exciting.
2: What was it going for? But, was it like, basically like a sort of kaiju movie? Just like big animals slugging it out in cities? Like,
1: Yeah, it's like a sort of family fun at the cinema. But it definitely has a kaiju element, certainly. I would describe it as fine. The Rock is pretty charming in it. It was aiming pretty child-friendly, I would say. Aiming at kids, you yeah. know. The, nine, the nine-year-olds will go for it. The villains were very kind of cartoony. There's like a uh the woman who's the night uh not the night owl, uh Spectre, Silk Spectre from Watchmen, Marlon Ackerman, that's yeah. the actress's name, it's come to me. She is the kind of uh, bad guy in it and she's some sort of uh tough business woman who's just doesn't care about anything but profits, and then her sidekick is this kind of bumbling, oafish younger brother who's like tripping up on his own shoelaces all the time and is you know, it's like, gee, I don't know if that's a good idea. And their dynamic is very broad, and that's the tone of the whole movie. It's very broad and silly. Um, uh, is there anything else on our, on our horizon that we... Um, that we we really should review
2: the new Charlie Kaufman movie. I mean, everyone's been locked inside for like six months. People's mental health hangs by a thread. And I'm like, i got to watch me the new Kaufman movie. Apparently, it might be his most depressing film yet. So...
1: Oh, yes. Woo, yes, please.
2: Sign me up. And I'm quite keen to watch the third Bill & Ted movie. I feel that, contrary to Charlie Kaufman, that would cheer me up. Uh, the, the adorable dude-bro energy. And apparently the reviews have come out, and it's, been, it's pretty good, apparently. which so I'm very pleased by because it cause looked a bit like, you know... I mean, how many sort of, you know, late-in-the-day sequels are good? It often seems like a good idea at the time. Like, oh, I can't wait to see those guys back together. And then you're like, oh, man. But it's almost like the joke of how stupid and sweet they are is just funnier now they're old. At least, that's what the trailer suggests, so...
1: I wanna find out if Keanu Reeves can still sell that dumb guy thing now that he has transformed into such a slick, uh, sexy man. Like he's uh, as a as a younger actor, he was considered to be like have a real dumb guy energy. I and mean, that was what people thought about The Matrix, right? Yeah. He was kinda of wooden in it and seemed like a bit like stupid or whatever. And then his latest John Wick incarnation, he just seems like an awesome guy he's no longer dumb he's just nice you know he's sort of nice and cool and he kicks ass so can he still successfully sell himself as the dumb bro you know
2: there's just there's just that fine line between completely vacant and just like zen like killer messiah and he just exactly. can, can he you know exactly it's a fine it. line and occasionally i think he fudged it in some of his movies but i feel like i feel like he's still got he it he
1: needs to travel back from zen to vacant yeah. That's a, but that, that's now a long journey for him. Yeah, he's too cool these days. So we'll see. i never seen the original Bill and Ted's.
2: Oh, they're great. I think they hold up. I mean, there's a few... There's a couple of, like, gay panic jokes in there. Uh, but for the most part, uh, they're really... They're just adorable dudes. Like, they're not, like... There's something quite nice. It's like soft masculinity. They're just guys. They're nice guys. They're a bit dim. But they just... Their whole thing is
1: be excellent to each other. You know? They've got a good... Uh,
2: Good vibes,
1: yeah. Well, those definitely those do sound like quite opposite vibe um, options. The Kaufman and yeah. uh, Bill and Ted. So yeah, let's check them out. I'm I'm interested to see the Kaufman. I don't. I'm sort of vaguely nursing the take that Charlie Kaufman isn't good, or or it's just not just not that not that great. So uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see his latest um, his latest film. I'm sure it will be very uh, philosophical and uh, existential, and uh, depressing. I mean, Connecticut, New York was a, certainly a bit of a downer. <laughs> so how how far how far further down can he go? You know,
2: I watched the Numalisa and I like, which I know you weren't a huge fan of, but I like loved, and I was mm. on such a sort of little Kaufman, not exactly high, a low, I don't know, w- whatever the feeling is. I was like, oh, I haven't seen Connecticut, New York since it came out in cinemas. So I watched it again, and I like at the end, I was like, that was a mistake. <laughs> oh my god, it's only
1: two hours long. But it's got just so. Is m- it? I I thought it was much long. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was like two and a half. Well, here's the
2: thing. It has like twice as many scenes as a two hour movie. It's like it's basically like a montage for the last like ninety minutes of that film. So it feels so long. By the end, I was just like, <laughs> I mean, it definitely. It might be a masterpiece. I don't know. I, I felt things, but yeah. I want good things. So, but should art comfort or should it just make you feel terrified and alone? Who knows.
1: Is he saying stuff about the human condition, or is he just being a miserable old bastard? That's my that's my question about Charlie Kaufman. Um, is he, does he just hate other people? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I know I've told talked, I've talked told you a number of times, so I'm not going to go back over it. But I feel like it's a little, it's it's simultaneously, um, misanthropic and cute. You know, it's like a, it's kind of relies on a little bit of. Uh, cute romantic stuff, which is a a little corny, and I think that his incredibly pessimistic, you know, how do we understand how other people are? We're all alone in this world, is also a bit corny, and maybe not that deep, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just I mean, so that's 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 my inkling, that's my current inkling. But I'm going to firm that up. I'm going to take that preconception and solidify it through his new film and not judge it at all, except by how much it confirms my, <laughs> my biases. Back. Well, Joker. I'm going to
2: do the opposite and then we can... And I'll be convincing you why you're just some fucking hipster idiot who, like, just wants to be a contrarian. Can't appreciate uh, genius when you see it.
1: Cool. Alrighty. All right, dude. Uh, well, it's been nice chatting to you again, getting back on the horse. I'm sure that people will recognise how much our style and um, speaking manner has grown and become more professional <laughs> and how we're really, we're really hitting a groove. Yeah. You know, 218 episodes in we're really, really getting there. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Did. yeah. All right. Well, right. let's do this again. Let's yeah. Do this again.
0: Let's do it. i like to say I'm fascinated by time because I've always lived in it and <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit glib, but there's, there's real truth to that though, because we, we're all, obviously living in time and living with time and it's one of the things that causes us, it's one of the biggest influences on our lives, the biggest influence probably and yet we're unable to fully understand it, we're unable to really grasp it or even explain what it is quite frankly and that's fascinating to me. It's one of the great enigmas that that we all have to deal with every second of our day and um, the relationship between that subjective experience of time and the ways in which we experience time changing at different points in our lives, different points in our day. The relationship between that subjective experience and the mechanism of cinema and how shot following shot following shot builds up a narrative experience in the mind of the audience. You sit there in a cinema and you, you receive a story in roughly two hours, but the time span of that story can be, can be minutes to centuries to millennia. You know, it's, it's, it's all possible. And that's a fascinating relationship. The mechanism whereby that relationship is exploited or takes place, to me, is fascinating. I like the idea of exposing that mechanism and involving the audience in, you know, in of a discussion of, of that mechanism, just trying to make them experience or, or notice the way in which a movie is making them feel about time. Yeah. Planning for your next trip?